if you have your Bible, if you would turn there, and I just want to share some thoughts uh, with you tonight uh, about uh, what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, the reality is we're all here for uh, God's honor and God's glory. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know, he has chosen to this point not to take us to heaven, but to leave us here. Uh, and there's a reason for that. We just have sung about, oh, Lord, uh, haste the day when my face shall be sight. And what a great day that'll be when we see Jesus. Amen. But until then, we're here and we're here for a purpose and a reason. And uh, you live in, in, in this uh, part of, of the state of Connecticut and you uh, have the family that you have and live in the neighborhoods that you do and, and work at the jobs that you work and attend the schools that you attend for a purpose, for a reason. And that reason is truly to reflect Jesus Christ. It's truly to seek to rescue the perishing. It's truly to try to care for the dying. And in order for us to do that effectively, we, we genuinely have to commit ourselves to be true followers uh, of Jesus Christ. And uh, tonight, I, I just really want to speak about that for a few minutes and uh, just hopefully want to just uh, uh, challenge you to, to perhaps uh, just again think in your heart and mind, uh, are you all in? Uh, are you truly following Jesus uh, as a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ according to his definition of such. And we're going to begin reading in a moment, verse 25, but a little bit of background. And if you were to go back and read in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he uh, uh, heals uh, some people. And of course, the religious leaders of the day had an issue with that because Jesus did not do things according to their religious standards. And so uh, his greatest enemies uh, oftentimes were the religious people. And uh, you and I know religious people. Uh, where I live, I live in the community of Flushing in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, any Mets fans here? Amen. Wow. Well, there we go. We have one, one, uh, one spiritual person here among us tonight. And uh, <laughs> although to be truly sanctified, you have to root for the Yankees. Amen. 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 <laughs> but we, we digress, um, but I live in Flushing, I live in, I live in Flushing uh, where the Mets uh, play, and uh, in my community, in about a, a seven-mile radius, there's uh, 200 different kinds of houses of worship, and from all over the place, and all, you name it, and they're doing it, and uh, you know, uh, and, and over a hundred international religions have their headquarters based in New York City. So there are a lot of religious people. There are a lot of religious people here in, in this part uh, of, of Connecticut. Uh, you work with them and you see them every day, but being religious doesn't mean you know Jesus. And so the religious people all had issues with Jesus. Now, thank, thank God, Jesus loves religious people and he, he knows how to speak to their hearts as he does to all of us. And he uh, definitely desires that we do all that we can to reach those uh, who don't know him uh, as their savior. So Jesus speaks to these religious leaders who are really questioning him. And everything that, that they think in their mind is important to be a follower of God. In, in, in essence, Jesus uh, uh, rewrites and Jesus explains that that's not really what it means to be a follower. 
To be a genuine follower of Christ is not just the person who shows up in church every once in a while, person who occasionally picks up a Bible every once in a while or throws a few bucks in an offering plate or does some good deeds. Those are all great. But that's not really what it means to be a true, genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And as a matter of fact, Jesus goes on then to explain, here's, here's what is necessary. Now, if you were to look in verse uh, 23, uh, uh, and you, that verse was referenced tonight, and I'm sure it will continue to be, but Jesus uh, said, and the Lord said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And so that is God's heartbeat reaching people. We're all missionaries, if you know the Lord. You're a missionary tonight. You didn't have to be sworn in. You didn't have to go on deputation. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you and I are missionaries. And the desire is to go out and we can hang up signs and, and we can have events and we can try to get people in. But we're also commanded to go out and to try to reach people for God's honor and glory. But I'll only be effective. You'll only be effective if I'm a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And so as he looks at these religious people who looked the part and in, in most uh, people's observation and impression, they seem like they're devout and that they're followers of God. But Jesus has just pretty much said, it's not about the things that you think. Here's what it genuinely means to be my disciple. Verse 25, the Bible says, and there went great multitudes with him and he turned and he said unto them, by the way, you and I should rejoice that we get to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior, the one who died. And as last week we celebrated rose again. And now he calls you and me. We're the multitudes who know him. We're to be his disciples. And here's how he describes a disciple. Verse 26, if any man come to me and he hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first, counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he's laid the foundation and he's not able to finish it, all that behold him begin to mock him, saying, this man, he began to build, but he was not able to finish. But doesn't that describe many? It describes many of us at times. We start on, uh, on fire, excited, zealous for God, and we don't finish what we start. Verse 31, or what king, Jesus said, goes to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassador or, or an, uh, ambassadors in the desired conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Because here's the purpose. Salt is good. Anybody here enjoy eating salt? Amen. Okay. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his savor, then wherewith shall be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land. It's not fit for the dunghill. But men just cast it out. So Jesus says, to the crowds listening. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
Jesus influenced people's lives while he was on, on the earth. He preached and he taught. He met needs. He rebuked. He scolded. He comforted. He shared the news of eternal salvation. He pleased the Father always. He made a difference in people's lives that changed the course of history. Jesus can still have that impact today in people's lives. He has not changed, but although he's not here physically, we are. We're to be his representative in all that we do and in all that we say, daily influencing other people for him. That is his desire, so much so that he described us as being salt. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, that we are the salt of the earth. Salt was very important in the first century Palestine. It would preserve food in a hot environment where there was no refrigeration. Meats and foods were often preserved by the salt that was poured upon them. They would help keep bugs and vermin away. They would resist disease. Salt was also used to enhance flavor. We're familiar with that. Mark chapter 9 tells us that we're to have salt in ourselves and be at peace one with another. We're to challenge, protect, direct, and reveal Jesus Christ to one another, and especially in this lost world. And we have an opportunity to do that. But the Bible tells us if salt is not true, or if it's tainted, or if it's allowed to be mixed with other outside ingredients, then it would be useless in preserving or enhancing flavor in food. Jesus would go on and state that if salt loses its flavor, nothing can be added to it. Nothing can help it. In essence, if we're not right with the Lord and we're not genuinely following him, there's nothing we can do in the flesh that can replace what he wants to do in our lives. Our best efforts can, uh, not, can influence people, but it's like uh, nothing like what, when Jesus Christ has control of us and when we are genuinely following him, he is allowed to work in and through us and he can influence people in a far surpassing way. Salt, if it is good for nothing, the Bible said it's to be cast out. It's just to be thrown on the path so that it can be trampled on and walked on it is used really uh, as pavement or, or as uh, something to, to cover a path so that people could find their way by walking and trampling on it. They would take that tainted salt. They would throw it on the ground. It would help people walk. It would kill vegetation. Many Christians today are like that salt that has been cast aside. We're not living true lives of discipleship. We're not truly following God in every area of our life. We may have a little effect, but not much. Quite frankly, if we're honest, the world often walks all over us. That's never what Jesus desired. He desired that we would make an impact around the world, but that we would make that impact right here in our own communities and in our own schools and in our own neighborhoods and in our own families. He wants us to do all that we can to represent him, be salt in a world that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. But the reality is I can't do that by myself. And my best efforts are going to be ineffective. And so if I want to be what God wants me to be and I want to truly fulfill my purpose and I want to fulfill God's mission for my life. And if you want to do that, then I have to commit to be a genuine disciple 
of Jesus Christ. Say, what does that mean? It's not just saying, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. There's really uh, decision-making and surrender involved. So Jesus looks at this crowd of people, and it's interesting. It's not just addressed to the religious. It's it's to everybody. And he, he really gives three necessities, three absolutes that have to be true if we're going to be true, genuine disciples of Jesus. And I would ask you tonight as I ask myself to evaluate, am I and have I and am I continuing to make these decisions in my life? Notice, if I'm going to be a follower of him as a true disciple, what has to be true? Number one, he says, I must love God more than others. I have to love God more than anyone else in my life talked to a 16-year-old young lady this morning, and she trusted Christ as her Savior last week at our uh, Easter service. And her mother's Chinese from, from China, and her mom's testimony is that for years and years, she had no exposure to any kind of religion or God. And when she came to America, she began on this journey and studied with the Jehovah Witnesses and studied with various groups. Somebody gave her a Bible, began to read until just a few years ago, she, she made that decision that Jesus is the only way. She's been praying for a daughter who's 16 and her daughter came. And so I talked to her daughter today, wanted to know about baptism. And so we talked for a few minutes and, and then she said, can I ask you another question? I said, sure. She said, Uh, I I think I have a problem. And I said, okay, what is it? And she said, I love my family more than I love God. Is that wrong? Now, A, to hear a teenager say, I love my family is just amazing right there. (laughs) So I didn't want to say yes. Uh, But that she had just in a short period of time had began to connect dots that God is somebody not only saves my soul, but that I, I need to love in my life. And so we, we began to talk about that and, you know, being challenged to read the words. And Jesus said, read the scriptures, they'll testify about me. And as you read, you realize who God is and, and not only what he's done, but, but who he is and that he's worthy to be loved with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And, and, and quite frankly, I can love my family like I'm supposed to if I first love him. But Jesus turns to these people and he says, listen, you have to love me more than anybody else. And so the first thing off the bat, somebody says, tell me, how am I a true disciple of you, Jesus? He turns and he says, here's what you got to do. You got to hate your mom. You got to hate your dad. That'd be a great sermon title on Mother's Day. Hate your mom, right? And you think, well, that's a little bit shocking. And it is. Jesus was kind of radical. Hard sayings of Jesus in the Bible. But he says, you, you got to hate your father and your mother and your sisters and your brother and everybody else. And hey, even your own self. Because isn't it true? A lot of us, we love ourselves. You say, I don't know if I really love myself. Look, we made sure we dressed ourselves today. Most of us made sure that we fed ourselves today. We love ourselves. But Jesus said, you have to love me more than you love anyone else. He is the one who paid the ultimate price for our sin. Of his great love for us, it is amazing that we often come to him for salvation. And then once we're saved, we distance ourselves from him. We're not willing to full heart, 
full will, full mind, full strength to love him. But yet, if I'm to be a true disciple, if I'm going to be genuine, I'm going to be for real. I'm not going to be somebody that's just playing around like like some of these religious were. But I'm going to be a true follower of Jesus. Then I have to learn to love him more supremely than anyone else on the face of the earth. If I don't love God supremely, no matter what else I may do for God, it will not fulfill or impact others as God intended. That's why I believe we, we don't see as many people go to a mission field as maybe we should. That's why we don't often see uh, people out uh, getting out of their comfort zone and, and talking to people and sharing their faith. And, and, and even if it makes them uncomfortable, because the reality is there's, there's other things that we love more than we love God. We love our, our, our comfort, our reputation. We, we, we love what, what people perceive about us. We, we don't want to shake up the status quo on some things. And so because of that, it hinders us from doing all that God would want to do in our lives. What do we know? Jesus said that the first and great commandment was to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength, with our entire being. By the way, notice this was for all believers, children, teens, young and old, wives, mothers, fathers, everybody's mentioned. Hey, dad, you got to love God more than you love your wife. Hey, children, you got to love God more than you love your parents. Parents, you have to love God more than you love your kids. Why? Because love for God is, is what is necessary for us to be a true disciple of Christ. Now, you may think to yourself, you know, this is conflicting uh, messages because the Bible tells us over and over to, to honor our parents and to, to love our children, and, and you're right. So it's not a, a contradiction by any means. It's a comparison principle. As I drove here tonight from New York, we hit lots of traffic in New York. And so after we got out of the city, we tried to do the right thing and make up time. And so <laughs> we asked for angels to give us blessing and part roads and, and uh, you know, the wind helped us along, I think. But even as I was driving, I have to tell you, other cars blew past me. Now I could say, hey, I'm driving 70 miles an hour. I'm going fast. But compared to the guy driving 90, I might say it looked like I was standing still. Comparison. I love my wife. I love most of my kids. <laughs> okay. I, I love my family. But what should be true, if you look at that love and then look at my love for God, it should be so much greater that you would even say, perhaps, compared to his love for God, it looks as though he hates his family. That's how much he loves God. Jesus said, do you love me that supremely? There's very few of us who truly love God as we should. If we love God, all the things you think about when it comes to love, the sacrifice and, and, and the yieldedness and, and the surrender, all those things, are they true of us? Do we love him supremely? The reality is I can't be his disciple if I don't love the Lord with all my heart. It's a heart issue. It's an emotional issue. If my heart is right and I love Jesus, then I will strive to follow and be like him in every aspect of my life. 
Notice, here's really another necessity Jesus gives. Verse 27, if I'm gonna be a genuine disciple, then I've got to, to, to love him more than others. And then secondly, I have to love God more than any obstacle. This is a mental thing. Notice, whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he can't be my disciple. The cross was a Roman symbol, and you've heard much about it over the last few weeks, uh, of really death and shame. It wasn't something somebody would brag about. Hey, I have a cross, or I'm going to the cross, or I get to bear a cross. But yet Jesus here just tells us right up front, there will be crosses in our life that we'll have to bear. Some of you know what it is to bear a cross for the name of Jesus. You've encountered obstacles in your life with family, with coworkers, with people who, who have written you off or grown cold because you, you're some fanatical nut now that follows Jesus. Perhaps that's your cross at this point in time. Crosses can, can come in all shapes and all sizes and, and, and really all forms, but the reality is that at some point there are going to be obstacles in our way and we can run from them or we can choose to bear those crosses. It's very countercultural what Jesus said. Think about it. In a world today where everything revolves around yourself, protect yourself, promote yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself, Jesus says, crucify yourself. Put aside all self-preservation in order to live for God's glorification, no matter what that means for you and the culture around you. Am I willing to to take the mockery? Am I willing to suffer the the persecution, the discomfort, to to, to really have my life and and my friendships and my relationships just change a little bit, perhaps even be a little awkward because I'm seeking to follow the Lord? That's what he did. He lifted up that cross because of the joy that was set before him. What is it that holds us back from following Christ completely? Jesus loved us. He wanted us to be saved. But in order for that to happen, there had to be a cross. It was painful. It was humiliating. But Jesus didn't run from it. He picked it up. He embraced it. He laid down his life willingly. And he died for our sins so that we might have eternal life. You and I are going to face crosses in our life. What do we do with it? Do we pick them up? Do we go forward to follow our Lord? Or do we find or try to find another way around? Do we stop and never go further? Or in some cases, do we run backwards? Jesus said, if you're going to be a genuine follower of me, then you must love me more than any obstacle. Maybe it's your past that that's the cross. Maybe it's desires, it's habits, maybe it's opposition and persecution. Maybe you feel inferior. Maybe it's a lack of talent in your mind. Maybe it's fear, lack of faith. I don't know what it is. We all have them. But at some point, we need to to face those crosses and bear them with his help. And as Paul said, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a mental thing. So if I'm going to be a true disciple, then, then I, with my whole heart, I, I, I need to love him more than anybody. And, and, and then I need to love him more than any obstacle that may come into my path. I stay the course. I, I rise above. I press on, though I'm bloodied and battled and it's painful and it's uncomfortable because I love him. 
That's what a true disciple does. And then notice here's the last uh, really necessity. Jesus says, if you're going to be a genuine disciple, you've got to love me more than any object. We love objects. We love things. Notice verse 33. So Jesus said, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus challenges the, the listener to evaluate his life. Look, here's the example that he gives. He gives an example of one building a house and he gives an example of one fighting a battle. The Christian life is one of building. There's going to be unexpected delays and problems, but we press on. The Christian life is going to be a battle. There's going to be opposition, but we press on. Many of us, however, have not. And because of that, there's an unfulfilled life. We're often mocked by the world. See, I, I, I personally believe that unbelievers have more respect for us when we practice what we preach as opposed to preaching something that we never practice. Because at least they see the stark contrast. And God can be glorified in that. And when we don't follow through, the world mocks us. They ridicule as they ridicule the guy who starts to build and cannot finish the job. The reality is God's cause is not finished. And you and I play an important part in that. Jesus circles back to this point. To follow me and to live a fulfilled life as my disciple, we must forsake all that we have. What's that mean? It means I sell everything. I live in a cardboard box. If God told you to do that, but that's not what he's asking, but he's asking if he did tell us to do that, would we be willing to do that? What do we hold on to? In what things do we place our identity? If I were to lose it today, my life would fall apart. That's often a sign that that Jesus is not Lord in my life, but something else is. Jesus said, I have to be that Lord in your life. So many Christians have failed God because of material things. We've sold out our faithfulness to God for more money, for better jobs, longer hours, nicer homes. And those things have slowly become the priority in our life. Here's the thing about God that we can only worship one God at a time. Jesus said you can only have one master. And God loves us so much that you know what he often does? He forces us to make a decision. God is not comfortable being an option, just one on the sidelines. God is not comfortable to just be there when we want to pull him out. So he will force us to make a decision. Who will you choose this day to serve? And the answer, if I'm going to be a true disciple, is I must choose, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows how things can become the priority in our life. And he knows how devastating it can be to become a true disciple. For where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will your heart be also. Is it any wonder that Jesus said that we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? We can't love uh, with just one of these and not the others. It's all or nothing. 
I either love God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can't love God with my heart and love my job with my strength. It's all or nothing. That's his desire for us. If God took everything away from us today, would we still follow him? As believers, we're saved from sin and we're saved to serve the Lord. Are you and I true disciples of Jesus Christ? What is hindering us from being the salt? That which has a preserving agent, that which provides, if you will, flavor and and, and excitement into a lost world. Are we able to influence this world as God desires us to? Obstacles, objects, other people, are they standing in our way? Will we strive to follow him and love him most of all? That's the most important thing. What's a, one of the saddest verses in the Bible it, to me is John six sixty six because in John's account at this point, the Bible says that, that Jesus, as he preached and put it out there, the Bible says that many turned from him and walked away and they never returned. That's too much, Jesus, I'm out. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Even to the point where you find Jesus in the garden and what happens, the disciples, and there's Jesus alone. Thanks be to God for second chances, amen? And you see these disciples, how they come back and how they follow the Lord and how they carry the torch. And as uh, Jesus himself before his ascension looks down and he says, listen, all power will be given to you because all power is given to me and you'll go forth. And and here's how you'll know that that the spirit of God is in your life. You'll go into uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And those disciples go forth and, and those few in number comparatively change the world. You and I can make a difference here in New Hartford or Torrington or wherever it is that that you live, where you work, the family that you have. New York City, where God has placed us, we're there for a purpose, we're there for a reason. But none of it is possible, none of it, if we're not genuinely committed to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So the challenge for you and for me tonight, and I hope as you go forward in your missions conference, you, you recognize you're a missionary, I'm a missionary And let's start by just saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. I follow you. Help me to love you more than any other. Help me to love you more than any obstacle. And Lord, help me to love you more than any kind of object in my life so that I can genuinely be a disciple for your honor and for your glory. May God help us to make that decision in our life. Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? Lord, I thank you for your word and God, thank you for the privilege to be able to represent you. You never anywhere promised it would be easy. You never anywhere promised that it would be without difficulty or inconvenience or discomfort, but you did promise it would be full of blessing and you did promise it would be eternally worthwhile. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight. Perhaps there's some weary brothers and sisters, Lord, who have truly given their best. And, Lord, on days when, when things get seemingly overwhelming in life, Lord, we, we, we sometimes get weary. I pray that they'll stay the course. They'll recognize the joy that is set before them. 
that they'll realize what a calling and what a privilege to be a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. And they'll press on. I prayed tonight for my brother and sister who perhaps, Lord, as they honestly evaluate, may find that perhaps there's another God ruling in their life. That, Lord, perhaps there's someone else or something else that's making the decisions, that's, Lord, influencing their lives more than you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing to allow you to be our Lord and Master. You saved us. Lord, allow us to make you our Lord in life. Help us to be willing to love you more than anyone or anything. Lord, I pray tonight if there's anybody here that perhaps doesn't even know you as Savior. Maybe they're religious, Lord, but the reality is they've never come to you through repentance and faith. They don't understand, Lord, that it's you alone. It's not religion. It's not works. It's not this church. It's you. I pray even tonight, Lord, that they would talk with someone and be willing, Lord, to to learn how they can come to you and become a child of yours, Lord, and then a true follower of you. I pray, Lord, that you would bless and work in hearts tonight. And God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being honest with us. Lord, help us to make you proud and respond as we should. We pray in Jesus' name.